Heavenly Father, as we listen to what you, the Lord of our God, say, speak to us according to your love and faithfulness, your righteousness and peace. Renew your ancient promises to us in the ministry of your word. By the power of your spirit, speak grace and truth into our hearts and lives so that we become a people who are known as your faithful servants. Teach and convict us so that we do not return to our foolish ways, but grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. The scripture reading is taken from Psalm 85, page 595 to 596. You, Lord, show favor to your land. You restore the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and thankfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Thankfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is the word of the Lord. is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the end of Paul's letter there. It's found on page number 1158 in your red Bibles, 1 Corinthians 16, 10 to 24. Our topic is that we need to greet one another with a holy kiss, and there are some five or six places in the New Testament where this is said from various different apostles. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I've just chosen one of them to focus on this morning. So let's hear God's word, 1 Corinthians 16, beginning with verse 10. To close his letter, Paul writes this. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Verse 12. Now, about our brother Apollos. 
I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Verse 19, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers and sisters here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. I had a Bible professor named Dr. Kara in seminary, and he was funny. And he loved to put us young people in our place, to humble us, sometimes to humiliate us. And usually he did it with trick questions. Let me give you a couple of his trick questions. One day we all sit down, and he starts the lesson like this. All right, students, tell me. Which is a worse sin, to punch a guy or to shoot a guy? And all of us seminary students started thinking, and we just kind of sat there like, aren't all sins equal in God's sight or something? And he just went, uh, hello, shooting a guy is way worse. Even non-Christians know this stuff, and you're going to be our pastors? Come on, people. Another time, he started his class this way. He, said, he started, he said, students, you believe the Bible, right? And we all said, yes. When the Bible says to do something, we should do it, right? And we all said, yes. He said, okay then, greet one another with a holy kiss. And we all looked around at each other like, I'm not going to be the first to try this. <laughs> and he looked at us as if, do we really believe the Bible after all? Let's go, he said. Now, after that lesson, I immediately thought to myself, someday I'm going to preach a sermon, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I've actually waited 14 years now for this day. <laughs> I'm very excited. But here's the thing. You might have thought of this to yourself. I've actually waited too long right? Because I'm not in the USA anymore, where people don't normally greet one another with any kind of a kiss. I'm in Switzerland, 
the land of kissing everybody, apparently. <laughs> and the question here is not so much, should we kiss, since the Bible says so? But there's other questions. For me, as, a, as an Auslander anyway, the questions are something like, um, which cheek do I start with? And if I start with the wrong cheek and I accidentally kiss your wife on the lips, are you going to punch me? <laughs> or maybe shoot me? Or uh, will my wife punch me? <laughs> and what if I'm not Swiss and you're not Swiss, but we're in Switzerland? Then are we supposed to kiss? How does this all work? Now, you can tell me the answers to that on the way out the door. I want you to forget them now, okay? If I was in America, I might be asking, okay, so if we're not literally going to kiss each other, then how are we going to be obedient to this clear command in the scriptures? We're going to have to do it one way or another. How are we going to do it? But since we're in the land of the, cre the greeting kiss like we are, our question instead is different. It's this. What makes the holy kiss different than every other kiss? In other words, what makes the holy kiss holy? And we'll see that we kiss one another as a way to celebrate these three things. Number one, the cost of one another's holiness. Number two, the gift of one another's holiness. And number three, the source of one another's holiness. The cost, the gift, and the source of one another's holiness. Let's look at each of these, shall we? First, we greet one another with a holy kiss, and when we do that, we celebrate the cost of one another's holiness. To be holy means, very simply, to be set apart, to be reserved for one single ultimate purpose. And that means that because you are set apart and reserved for this purpose over here, you are not going to be able to offer your body, soul, mind, and spirit, your words, your actions, your attitudes, in other words, yourself, you're not going to be able to offer yourself to be used for any purpose that might take away from your one single purpose. And that means that there is, in being holy, a cost, right? You're reserved for one thing, so that means you can't be used for a lot of other things. If you're a young man and you want to marry a girl, all of your money is going to be set aside for one thing, a ring. That means that you're not using it to gamble, to buy video games, to go out with your buddies every night. No, it's set aside for a very important purpose. And if you really love her, then it's fine to set it aside for that purpose. There's a cost also for being a disciple of Jesus. One of the ways to say this is that if we love him and we're reserved for him, then whether we're resting or working, whether we're playing or exercising, whether we're parenting or we're on a date, then we are our masters. You are set apart and holy and reserved for his single purpose. And his single purpose has become your 
single purpose. And that means that when we greet one another as a church with a holy kiss, whether we literally kiss Swiss style or maybe we hug or we give each other a warm handshake, we are recognizing and we are celebrating the cost of one another's holiness. Now, verse 10, look down here with me. Just before Paul tells the church to kiss one another, he tells them in verse 10 to greet and receive and to celebrate who? To celebrate Timothy when he comes to Corinth. Why does he need to tell him to do this? Because Timothy's a young man and his life is reserved and set apart for God's purposes in the church. And as we read in different parts of the New Testament, Timothy is not always honored. So Paul says, verse 10, Corinth, when he comes, don't intimidate him. He shouldn't be afraid to do ministry in your church. You should respect his work just like you would respect my work. Verse 11, no one should despise this man and dismiss him as if he was worthless. Timothy is willing to be disrespected and undervalued and often dismissed in order to follow Jesus exclusively and to serve his church because of it. And Paul is telling us, think of the cost that Timothy has paid to be set apart like this, to be holy. Therefore, greet him and people like him with a holy kiss. Later he mentions others. Verse 15 and following, Stephanus and his family. He says they were the first in this whole area of Greece to set themselves apart for Jesus alone. That means that, look, if you're the first in your entire community to trust in Jesus and give your life over to him, there's not going to be much of a social benefit to following Jesus, is there? If anything, it's going to hurt in ways that it won't hurt for people after you. And so for Stephanus and his families, and then others like uh, Fortunatus and Achaicus in verse 17, these type of people, have, they're reserved for Jesus and reserved for him at a great personal cost. And so Paul is saying you've got to recognize and respect and celebrate people like this. And then when these folks show up in your church ready to serve you, don't just nod your head at them, hi. Don't pass them as you're on a sprint to get your coffee and gipfully. But greet them with a, stop them dead in your tracks and greet them with a holy kiss. And Paul says, look, he doesn't say it explicitly, but implicitly he says, look, I deserve a holy kiss as well because the cost has been great for me to be set apart for your service as well. Verse 9 Look, there's many people that oppose me. Paul's taken great risks, even in this letter, to challenge the lack of holiness of some of the people in the church there at Corinth. What guts it takes for him to do that. Paul is doing it because he's set aside as holy, and so he speaks even when he has to speak with tough love. And he's speaking to people, some of whom are not responding with love and humility because they haven't themselves been set apart as holy. And nevertheless, he's able to write like he does nowhere else in his letters in verse 24. 
I love you people. Holiness at great personal cost. Now, in Paul's day, as well as in ours, why do people celebrate and honor others? Well, then and now, people honor and celebrate typically a man based on how successful he is. Typically, now and then, people honor and celebrate a woman based on how beautiful she is. But you see what Paul is saying here. He's saying that Christians honor and celebrate a woman or a man, a boy or a girl, based on their humble commitment to Jesus, even when it costs them. And many of you, I know, when you heard the call of Jesus, you left your homes and your home countries and your home cultures. And some of you have left behind in important, significant, painful ways, you've left behind secular culture in order to follow Jesus. And that makes you very much like Paul and these other folks he talks about. Your holiness... Your reservedness for Jesus has cost you. And some of you, it's cost you a lot. And that means that when you arrive at a place like IPC, then you need, in one way or another, a holy kiss. You need it to remind you that your holiness is worth whatever it costs you. So we kiss one another to celebrate the cost of one another's holiness. What else? We also celebrate the gift of one another's holiness. Since my professor was asking trick questions, I feel like asking a couple more myself. Here's the second trick question. Are some preachers better than others? If my professor was here, he would say, uh, duh, yeah. That's why when, for example, Tim Keller starts a new church, 6,000 people show up. When somebody like me starts a new church, 60 people show up if I'm lucky, right? Now, the Corinthians, really, in this section, they're interested in one thing. Verse 12, when is Apollos coming back to Corinth? Huh? He's their favorite preacher. But before Paul will say anything about their Tim Keller, he's going to tell them in verse 10 about the Timothy that they're actually going to get. He wants the Corinthians to plant their holy kiss on Timothy. Apollos isn't coming right away, he says. Apollos is gifted. There's no debating that. But that doesn't mean that when Timothy comes to you, that he doesn't come to you as a gift. You see, we confuse this all the time, don't we? Having great gifts is not the same thing as having great holiness. Being able to get up and speak and lead is not the same thing as being a gift to your sisters and brothers in the church. Now, this doesn't mean that you give anyone and everyone the pulpit or the lectern or the church credit card or the keys or a seat on the church council, or a microphone, or an electric guitar, or whatever. Gifts and graces are important in determining what kind of service and ministry you ought to do in the church. No doubt about it. But, 
someone's gifts are not the thing that makes them worthy of the holy kiss. The question is not whether they have great gifts, but whether they have, in Christ, made themselves a gift, a great gift to the church in Christ. And that means that if someone shows up here on a Sunday morning and they end up washing plastic cups after a coffee hour, and you, on your way out the door, you see them scrubbing away. Look, you owe them a great honor. You shake my hand on the way out the church and you say, whether you mean it or not, thanks for the sermon, that was great, right? That's fine, I love that. But now you need to get your behind into the kitchen sometimes and greet those people that are serving you in those humble ways behind the scenes. The reality is we don't always see the behind the scenes service that people do and so we don't know to thank them for it and honor them for it, right? That's fine. But when we do realize that someone in great humility is serving us, then we owe it to them, don't we? To honor them, to love them, to greet them in the name of Jesus. And then one last way to think about this. You want to know what perhaps the greatest way is that someone can make themselves a gift to you in the context of a Christian church like ours? It's when they're willing, honestly and graciously and humbly and courageously to come to you and to challenge you to follow Jesus more closely in one way or another. Of course that means people like Sam and I, right? That's kind of our job. But what about the people that don't get paid a dime to challenge you? It means your elders, it means your deacons, the people who teach you. It means your home group leaders and your prayer group leaders. It means your Bible study leaders. It means your mentor, if you're in our discipleship program. It means the person who listens to you for 10 minutes at coffee hour, tell you what's going on in their life, and then speaks 30 seconds of grace and truth into your experience so that you can hold fast to Jesus, even when times are tough. Now look, this doesn't mean that you give anyone blind and brainless submission. That's not the point. But here is the point. Truth and grace are truth and grace. Whether you hear it eloquently from some preacher up in a pulpit, or if you hear it over coffee and gipfully from a sister or a brother who, trembling, realizes that caring for you right now means speaking a word of grace and truth into your life and heart. Do you walk into church assuming that you can receive the gift of Jesus in and through any Christian who's willing to make themselves a gift to you in their words or in their actions? If that's the way you walk into church, then you will be quick to greet them with a holy kiss and to celebrate the gift that they have made themselves to be for you and for the church. So we celebrate the cost, we celebrate the gift of one another when we greet with a holy kiss. And then lastly, 
we celebrate, when we greet with a holy kiss, we celebrate the source of one another's holiness. Greet one another with a holy kiss. How about one more trick question? The kiss is holy. That's the adjective that goes with the kiss. It is given from, we assume, one holy person to another holy person. How do all of these kissers get to be holy? Another way of asking this is, did we set ourselves apart for Jesus? Or did he set us apart for himself? And the answer, of course, is yes. But even before that question is another one. Because long before we set ourselves apart for Jesus, and long before he reached into our lives and he set us apart for himself, the source of our holiness, Jesus Christ himself, set himself apart for you. Jesus' own holy kiss to us is the source of all of our holy kisses, but also of our holiness itself. Paul says here that the Christian believers in churches, verse 14, they've got to have courage. We've got to stand strong. We've got to be on our guard. And he says there that we must all do this and we must do everything else that we do together in love. But well before we do any of that in love, the question comes to us, who has done everything in love for us? Whose holy kiss is not just a mark of his tenderness, but of his courage to save us, his protection over us, his firm commitment to us? Who paid a great cost to set himself apart for you? Who left his home country? Who left everything that he had been familiar with for all of eternity? Who left the admiration of his heavenly father and of all the angels? Who left even the praise of his hometown behind to devote himself to, follow, or to serving you? Who came to his own family to Israel and found that there were no holy kisses greeting him when he arrived. Psalm 2 says, kiss the son, S-O-N, so that God will not be angry with you. You know that when the son, God's own son, entered the house of Simon the Pharisee for a meal, Simon didn't greet him with the typical greeting of a kiss. And instead that night, he got scolded because a woman that everybody called a sinner would not stop kissing his feet and wiping them with her tears. The next time that we hear about the son getting a kiss, it's from who? It's from Judas Iscariot. And it's the most unholy kiss that you and I could ever imagine. It's a mockery of the holy kiss. Judas isn't celebrating the gift that Jesus is. His kiss doesn't recognize the cost that Jesus is willing to pay to make Judas holy. 
His kiss was nothing but a sign telling the Roman soldiers who came with their swords and their spears, this is the person you should arrest. And then he enters the high priest's house to be tried in the middle of the night for his holiness, essentially. And instead of being greeted with a kiss by the high priest, the true high priest, Jesus, what does he get in that meeting? He gets spit on and punched and condemned. And worst of all, this is all bad, but worst of all, when the Lord Jesus, to be holy for us, to set himself apart for you, went to the cross, he was willing to become a curse for us, bearing our sin. And for the first time in all of eternity, there was no holy kiss for him from his heavenly father. You know, this letter ends pretty dramatically. Typically, when Paul's writing, he's got what's called an amanuensis, a secretary. He's telling them what to write, and the person writes it down in big capital Greek letters on parchment. And then at the end of this letter, we see that Paul grabs the pen himself. Verse 21, I write this with my own hand, he says. It's like, drum roll, what are you, you going to write, Paul? You've got one shot at this. First, verse 22, a curse. It's an awkward way to end a letter, right? Paul says, listen, church people. Jesus was the only one who completely set himself apart to love others with God's own love. He is the holy kiss of heaven. And if you've seen him do that, and then you come into church week after week after week with no love for him, and therefore no self-giving love for one another, then you're lost. And you're lost until Jesus' love finds its way into your heart and you really start loving him back and loving one another back. But then second thing he writes with his own hand, verse 23, a blessing. He says, the grace of Jesus be yours. All of his undeserved, self-giving, loyal love, all of his saving perseverance, all the way to the end for us, this, Paul is saying, this is God's holy kiss to you from the lips of Jesus. It comes from his heart of love. It comes to our cheeks. It goes down into our hearts. And when it really does, we can't help but honor everyone else who has received his holy kiss, who has turned and kissed the son as a response. Because we see them now, finally, as the ones that have been gifted by Jesus and turned into a gift of Jesus to his beloved bride, the church. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Why? Because God has greeted you with the holy kiss of his son. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and tenderness, for your truth and grace. Where this convicts us, we pray that you would not beat us down with guilt, but rather lift us up with fresh courage to love one another. Where this 
reminds us of your great love, we pray that we would take that great love with us as we turn toward one another in love. And as you do this in each of our hearts and lives, as we learn to one another, one another, and a little bit better week by week, we pray that the world around us would sense that you have been with us in Jesus Christ and in the power of the Spirit, and that indeed we are his loyal disciples. But we thank you most of all for your great loyal love to us, which cost your son everything and which gives us everything. We give it all back to you afresh, and therefore we give it to one another afresh. In Jesus, our Savior's name, amen.